0: It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, David Siegel. David Siegel is the Executive Director of Demand Progress at DemandProgress.org, which has been successfully demanding progress on issues from internet censorship to internet neutrality and surveillance and many other areas. Uh, Siegel is a former Democratic Rhode Island State Representative. He served on the Providence Rhode Island City Council as a member of the Green Party He was eight years as an elected official, and he oversaw passage of legislation promoting economic justice, renewable energy, open space, banking reform, affordable housing, LGBT rights, criminal justice reform, and on and on. He ran, it's a few years ago now, in the Democratic primary for Rhode Island's first congressional seat, uh, and he had a great deal of support. David Siegel, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio.
1: Thanks. Thanks. For having me, glad to be back. I think I was last on during that congressional race.
0: Uh, Maybe you were. Maybe that was another show I had. In in any In any case, it's uh, it's great to have you on here, and uh, we have been working together a bit on some things over the years. And uh, one of those things that you've been instrumental in organizing a big coalition around just lately. Uh, is around the Patriot Act. And there's a, a big new website at sunsetthepatriotact.com. Uh, what does that mean and what is what is happening right now?
1: So let me preface by saying it, it, it's an obscenely complicated situation. I mean, the, the essential principles are very simple ones. Um, relate back to fundamental rights that almost all Americans are concerned with. We think that the government should not be able to spy on people unless it has a narrow suspicion that they've done something wrong, Um, but it's an issue that's very technically complex, um, and the state of play of the Congress and the various positioning of different blocks of uh, lawmakers and activism organizations um, is is quite varied. But what's happening uh, this week and next is that there is an attempt by the establishment to reauthorize Certain sort of provisions of the Patriot Act, which, when the Patriot Act was first passed, were understood to be the most controversial, or among the most controversial of its provisions, and the one that is uh, most germane and most people will, is um, people have the highest familiar with, is Section Two Fifteen, which is the authority that the NSA exploits to collect information about uh, the vast majority of Americans' phone calls, uh, not the particular content of those calls but who's calling whom, uh, you know, from where, when, and so on. The so-called metadata they use to create a mapping of connections and can actually exploit to paint a pretty narrow picture of how we live our lives. And, uh, sh-
0: should we be believing that that is all they're gathering, is the metadata?
1: Um, well, there are other... So There's a wide array of different justifications that uh, they they claim for the various programs they operate under, and no, they're collecting more than just metadata, um, but it's under the Section 215 program that they're capturing the metadata as we understand it, and they lean on other language to legitimize their collection of uh, the actual content of Americans' communications.
0: So, so that particular excuse, uh, legitimate or, or justifiable or not, uh, goes away on June 1st if Congress just does nothing? Uh, yes.
1: Um, or it at least forces the NSA to go off and develop a new justification for doing the same thing. And there's plenty of reason to believe that that's exactly what they'll try to do, no matter what. Um, because they're a, a rogue organization that operates under a cloak of darkness, um, that is not made accountable to the public at large, um, or even to a meaningful group of uh, lawmakers. Uh,
0: And yet we're putting in a great deal of of effort to uh, try to get Congress to allow that justification to go away. Um, Why?
1: Because doing so builds power um, and demonstrates that there is a substantial body of people in the Congress. Uh, who agree with the substantial portion of America, the American people who think that the NSA needs to be reined in. So this, this victory will not end the NSA's rogue behavior or end mass surveillance of Americans, but it's a very strong political statement that we can build upon and will constrain the NSA, at least relative to this particular behavior, at least for some period of time, we think.
0: And it, it, you mentioned at the outset that this is extremely complicated, uh, and, and I think it is even at the basic level that I grasp, but it, within the past week or so, uh, the House, as I understand it, passed something that sounds awesome, the, the USA Freedom Act. Uh, and what I notice in the corporate media that I find unavoidable uh, is that, you know, mass surveillance will end and we will have freedom. But what I see in all the, the journals and blogs and reports from experts that I respect is that this is uh, no fix at all. It's a sham. It's what the the surveillance state wanted, and they've just given it a, a nice name, and it has nothing to do with freedom. Uh, what's the what's the real story?
1: The, the real story is, yeah, not surprisingly, uh, more along the lines of the, the latter body of work that you cited. Um, what's happening here, and let me figure out if there's a way to describe this linearly, there, the USA Freedom is, a, a, it's the name, uh, the same name has been used for several pieces of legislation that have been put forth post the Snowden revelations, and USA Freedom in its initial concoction was like a relatively strong vehicle that was pretty broadly supported by reform organizations that was going to pretty meaningfully constrain, at least under these authorities, um, the ability of the NSA to engage in mass uh, surveillance. It was going to create a meaningful um adversarial advocate for privacy in front of the uh, the the Fisk Court, the uh the foreign intelligence surveillance court, the one that has authorized the NSA's a mass collection of the phone data and before that, um, email metadata and so on. It's been weakened substantially over the course of the last year and a half, uh, to the point where it's some of its most ardent advocates now are um, members, uh, or people who who oversee the intelligence agencies, either in the executive branch or people on the committees that oversee the, quote-unquote, oversee the intelligence agencies, um, and that it has sort of more establishmentarian but a little bit reform-minded people backing it as well. It passed on a vote of, I think the numbers were 338 to 88 last week, and if you were to read The New York Times' is reporting on it, you would think that means, oh, my God, 338 people have seen the light and uh, agree with Edward Snowden that we need drastic reform to these programs, and it justifies the risks that Snowden took and the sacrifices that he's made, and there are only 88 fascists left in the Congress. Uh, woo But, in fact, the 88 who voted against the bill are, I think, literally down to a T. I think all 88 of them from the analysis I've done are people who voted against it because it doesn't go far enough, and we wish that there had been more of them. Because we think it's important for it to be clear to the public that this bill is not a is, is not a reversal of the NSA's rogue behavior. Will not end mass surveillance um, on Americans, um, and because having more people vote against it would make it even more clear to the powers that be they can't weaken this bill even further, um, and they surely can't get a straight reauthorization of the Patriot Act authorities passed through the Congress. But we're in this sort of in-between state now where some number of people clearly agree with us. We have allies in the House who are helping organize alongside us uh, to try to make sure that the reform doesn't get weakened and who are willing to push for additional reform no matter what happens in this circumstance. Um, But we might not have quite enough of them to, to rule the day and actually prevent the reauthorization of these authorities.
0: So this is this is not done, right? This goes to the Senate, maybe back to the House. Uh, people should still be going to sunsetthepatriotact.com and adding their voice by email and phone
1: call? Yeah, absolutely. The Senate's going to be voting uh, most likely later this week. Um, it's hard to figure out how they're going to fit it in because we have alla- the- Mitch McConnell, who is now the new majority leader in the Senate, is going to try to compel a what, what's called a, you know, people are calling it a clean reauthorization, there's nothing clean about it, or a straight reauthorization of the Patriot Act provisions to just extend them, essentially unchanged, for some period of time, could be shorter, could be longer. Um, but there are others who are going to filibuster, or say they're going to filibuster any attempt to do that, and the authorities expire on June 1st next week is Memorial Day weekend and the Senate's supposed to be out of session um, so there's really not much time uh, left to maneuver on this um, but somehow they're going to try to even under the spread of filibuster which would extend the process quite a bit ram through this Patriot Act reauthorization and then the House would have to pass the same thing in order for it to actually vest so it's it's sort of just a muddled mess um, on the Senate side but this, you know, one thing that will surely not hurt and will hopefully help is if people go to sunsetthepatriotact.com and email their members of Congress and call their senators and tell them to force a sunset of the expiring Patriot Act provisions.
0: So, so let's say we, we win this, uh, they can't get their act together between the two houses and the two parties and the, and the provisions uh, run out. Or let's say we come back uh, four more tries in four years from now or eight years from now, we, we, we finally win this. Uh, it sounds like it's not the final step in your vision of reforming right. the NSA. If they can be predicted to operate in secrecy, to come up with a new bogus justification for what they're doing when exposed. Uh, I mean, what is the next Step and the next step, and what is the ultimate goal? Is it is it abolition of of, of something like the NSA, or is there a, a good part within the NSA?
1: Um, I think that we would, we would need at least a complete reformulation of the agency. I mean, it's reasonable for there to be or agencies that that look towards people who are actually considering engaging in crime, because when whom we know to whom we legitimately suspect of. Uh, being in the act of trying to perpetrate some harm against uh, innocent people um, it makes sense for there to be an agency that tries to to disrupt those things um, but this is this is not that agency and it's uh, it's always seized far more power um, than uh, just those those narrow and justifiable ones um, what we need in this moment is some sort of ongoing meaningful oversight of their operations um, we also need a, a A vetting of all that they've done in the post 9-11 era a lot of people are talking about um, the need for something that resembles the church committee or the the Pipe committee uh, which actually worked than the church committee did in the 70s um, to illuminate the totality of the abuses and hold people who perpetrated them to account um, and to restructure the oversight of the NSA in a way that actually Um, is adversarial and and interrogates their programs and ensures that they're uh, constrained down to the point where they're doing just what they really need to do to protect the American people without violating our constitutional rights. Um, And that's going to require ongoing agitation for many, many years to come Are we ever to achieve such a thing.
0: But I wonder why the Department of Justice isn't that agency, why there has to be this additional thing called the NSA, which seems quasi-military and run by a, by a, a naval officer. And, uh, and I saw him just uh, this week declaring that the NSA might meet cyber warfare with actual warfare, uh, you know, illegally threatening war on the world. Uh, I mean, is, isn't that a bit out of control? And is it, is it really appropriate that such an agency have that kind of power.
1: Yeah, at, at, at this point, I mean, the NSA should not be trusted with much power at all. I, mean, I think that in an ideal world, the DOJ would uh, have meaningful oversight and willingness to prosecute abuses by the NSA. Um, but there is something to the, the concept of checks and balances, and it makes sense for there to be legislative oversight of the NSA as well, because under most circumstances, you know, the DOJ and the NSA will be run by people who were Appointed by the same person, by whoever happens to be the president in that moment. Um, but we we need uh, adversarial scrutiny of the acts they're undertaking. I think the legislative branch is where that's most appropriately situated. But it needs to happen in some form um, in which the people who are afforded those oversight powers aren't completely captured by the agencies or by the contractors who work for those agencies. And that's what we have today. And we have. the the Senate and House Intelligence Committees, the people who end up on those intelligence committees, with a couple of exceptions, are generally people who've demonstrated their fealty to the military-industrial complex over the course of their career, Um, and somebody who's made a point of, uh, over the course of their time in office, being a critic of those agencies um, is quite unlikely to end up having any oversight authority over them. And we need to figure out some structural way to change all of that.
0: Yes, indeed, absolutely. No, I meant the DOJ should be investigating crime rather than the NSA, not investigating the NSA, oh, okay. and that and that Congress should, of course, be overseeing the DOJ uh, and not overlooking it as they as they do these days. But we we are speaking with David Siegel. He's the executive director of Demand Progress, which has also done a great deal of work and had a great deal of success uh, on the issue of net neutrality. Uh, where it seems we have made some progress in at least holding off uh, the stripping away of the the neutral internet. Can you explain to people who don't know what that means and where things stand?
1: Sure, so the essential concept, also a, a technically complicated one, um, is that the internet service providers, uh, the, the Comcast, Verizon of the world, the people who afford you your, your internet service, uh, have essentially monopoly control over the provision of that service um, in most communities and have the technical ability to differentiate the way in which you receive content. They can speed up content that they like uh, make it easier for you to access that and they can slow down your access to content that they don't like or block your access to it, in an extreme example, um, completely outright. And there are any number of reasons why they might want to speed up content or slow content down Content that they would probably want to speed up um, would be, for instance, content that they own. Uh, Comcast is um, a massive uh, conglomerate that owns, among other um, entities, NBC. They've got an interest in making it easier for you to access their content so that more people are uh, readily able to watch their content so they can sell more advertisements to people. Um, They might also want to slow down content that... About their competitors' content, or they might want to slow down content that somehow affronts them from a political standpoint. Um, they might want to slow down content uh, being uh, pervaded by, for instance, a union uh, that represents their employees uh, during uh, a moment of labor strife. And that last example is actually one that's manifested in the real world before. And it it's pretty extraordinary because it's like of the most maniacal example you can like concoct if you were trying to imagine ways in which an ISP might want to uh, might want to abuse its monopoly power over what content its users are seeing. There's an example in Canada from 10 years ago when there was strife at the ISP uh, that has most of the Western Canadian market, and they actually went and tried to prevent people from the rank-and-file customers from accessing a website that was put up by a union activist and did so successfully and in the process also knocked out access to about a thousand other websites that had IP addresses in a similar range. So these are not, you know, theoretical, like, prospective abuses. These are sorts of abuses that we know that ISPs have engaged in um, and seek to engage in and would be engaging in to a greater and greater extent uh, were the behavior made legal and were it normalized.
0: Yeah, Comcast has been trouble uh, for years and years, even in its current level of of power. You know, we had uh, this website after DowningStreet.org, and they started blocking any email that included mention of that website. And we finally figured that out and asked why. And they said, oh, well, we, we were getting complaints about spam, and we knew they were fake complaints, but still our subcontractor wouldn't talk to our contractor, and, uh, you know, nothing we can do about it. Sorry, you can't...
1: I actually didn't know I didn't know that story that that was reported on at the time
0: well it wasn't reported on by the corporate media but it was reported on by you know people who knew about it
1: Um, oh alright I'll go back and look that up that's that's actually another great example for me to know as I go around the world talking about these things.
0: Well, you know, the thing was you took you took a great deal of time to figure out what was going on, why nobody was getting our email. Oh, well, it's because they were Comcast customers, you know, and well, then why can't they get it? Well, you know, so they never notify you of such things. And when you figure it out, they, they don't fix it. So uh, there is a problem with the level of power and monopoly that these, that these companies have right now in terms of what gets to you through the Internet. But... Uh, taking what would taking away net neutrality do exactly? What would it? How would it look different to your typical user of the internet?
1: Um, so you would find that certain sites whose content you like was being slowed down to the point where it was really annoying for you to access that content anymore, and so where you might be dissuaded from doing so. In a way that doesn't really relate back to political um, to political context, is more of just a, a consumer rights. Um, Like economic consideration, um, Netflix was being slowed down. Access to it was being throttled uh, over the course of last summer. Extraordinarily, after this net neutrality proceeding had already begun, um, which is just amazing. It was terrible from a from a PR uh, standpoint for um, Comcast to have engaged in. um, But it became substantially more difficult for Netflix for customers to to view Netflix content. Uh, because Netflix was refusing to be shaken down for fees, um, the ISP Netflix, because it it has so much it requires so much bandwidth and it, there's such a great volume of, of traffic, will connect directly into um, the ISP's servers. so they'll'll they'll, there'll be a direct connection uh, at what's called an interconnection point um, between Comcast's own online and the what's called last mile line, the line that uh, Comcast runs um, from, sorry, to to rewind and uh, try to explain technical technical concept that I, I didn't understand too early until a couple years ago, but the Internet backbone um, is the layer that moves content uh, in broad volume across the whole country, and then uh, in particular jurisdictions, particular cities or counties, you have What's under what's called the last mile provider, uh, a Comcast or whomever, that connects the internet backbone to individual customers. And at that interconnection point between the backbone and the last mile ISP, um, the IS, that, that's where the ISPs monopoly begins. And so it's at that point where they're able to start extracting tolls from content providers. So the ISPs want Netflix and the other backbone providers. To pay them fees for the right to even connect into their networks, which is ridiculous on a number of levels. Um, particularly because the only reason that anybody cares about who Comcast is is because they're trying to access content that's moving along that backbone, right? Comcast would be nothing if it didn't accept content from the backbone, from Netflix and so on. So Comcast tried to start shaking down Netflix for those fees. Netflix refused. Comcast started slowing down their content. So it was harder for people. to to view Netflix, most people aren't used to their internet being disrupted in this way. So their initial assumption is to think there's something wrong with Netflix. Um, And Netflix uh, could only bear this for so long and eventually agreed to pay some undisclosed amount in fees to Comcast, and then Comcast fed their service back up. So you would be living in a world in which that would happen on some semi-regular basis. The website would be slow for some reason that wasn't apparent to you for some period of time. Um, and then uh, the provider of that content would perhaps choose to pay a fee um, so as to alleviate the immediate shakedown. Eventually those costs um, would fall back on the consumers to bear. Uh, in other circumstances, you would see, see things like the, the disruption of political content that we were both referencing earlier would be harder for you to access websites that provide any sort of heterodox information. Uh, that offended the mainstream and then particularly any information that offended uh, the ISPs that have control over how you access information. And other other things, too, um, like you might start seeing the ISPs uh, demand that in order to um, service PayPal, uh, they would be given two cents off of any PayPal transaction uh, because there would be nothing preventing them from doing so and PayPal would have no option but to use the services of those ISPs
0: and of course many of the websites that I find the most valuable are produced by individuals and groups that don't have any spare money to be paying for the fast lane uh, to get their websites through without delay Uh, and we would be losing uh, the power of the internet to bring ordinary and poor people's voices uh, to some level of prominence uh, because it would become a, uh, a system where money spoke uh, as it does on television and everywhere else uh, so so here we are using the internet to try to defend uh, the power that we have in the internet which we still, I, I hope, have not developed to its potential. How we're gonna you and I are gonna be on a panel at Left Forum in New York City about online activism. What is your current thinking about the power of online activism and its and its potential and how it relates to, to real world activism offline?
1: I, I think the power is I I, I think it's an extraordinary tool. Um, I don't think that it's, it's not something that that guarantees us victory on a regular basis and it, it's a tool that must be used in conjunction with other tools. I, I think that the net neutrality uh, example is an interesting one because it illuminates uh, some of the ways in which online organizing can be used to extraordinary effect, but also illuminates ways in which um, it has fundamental shortcomings. And part of why we won the net neutrality fight is because we were, we were able to move just a tremendous uh, volume of constituent contacts into Congress and into the FCC. And we were able to do that because uh, when you're engaging with Internet related policy, um, you're going to be on the same side as just about everybody who is on the Internet. Um, and it's the case that you know, in this particular circumstance, the one of the ways in which we did outreach was we teamed up with platforms like Netflix that had an interest in making sure the net neutrality became the, the law of the land. Um, those same companies, with the rare exception, don't care as aggressively about issues like environmental advocacy or about health care advocacy. And to the extent to which they do, they're going to take a variety of different positions on those issues. And it's also the case that, that your average internet user um, might probably cares a, if, if somebody's on the internet, should cares about the internet, like at a higher rate than somebody who's on the Internet cares about environmental policy or fighting against a war, for instance, and to the extent to which they care about environmental policy, they care about foreign policy, they're also going to have a variety of different positionings on those issues. So when you're dealing with an issue like net neutrality or like the issue of the Stop Online Piracy Act of a few years ago, an Internet censorship bill um, where similar sort of activism took place, you're able to go to these platforms um, and the, the, the message that they can to their users, to their visitors, is our site is under threat, um, and here is how you take action to help stop this threat. So the, the medium by which the person finds out about the problem is the very medium by which they are able to take action to try to remediate that problem, and it's also that medium that is the thing that is most threatened by... Uh, by, by the threat that's being named, and for all of those um, for all those moments to line up is a fairly extraordinary thing. that I don't think happens in any other issue spaces. So, when you're engaging with internet activism, it's just easier to compel people, rank and file Americans, to assert their will uh, than it is when you're working on essentially any other issue that I can think of.
0: Maybe another project is how we mobilize and organize and educate and inspire uh, online internet activists to become online other stuff activists. Uh, uh, In any case, one of the best places you can go to do online activism is demandprogress.org. David Siegel is the executive director. David, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thanks so much for having me.